You're listening to the Friends with Dogs podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Friends with Dogs podcast. Thanks, as always, for joining us. I'm Rick Maynard, and this is my wife, co-host, and Preston's dog mom, Gina Maynard. Hello, dog lovers. So glad to be catching up with everyone for a very special episode. Really? What are we doing this week that is going to be more special than our usual special episodes? (laughs) Well, we're going to celebrate the roughly halfway mark of our inaugural season by recapping some of the Friends with Dogs shows from the last six months or so. Well, that sounds fun. Uh, This is going to be recorded at the conclusion of our little summer break. We kind of took the month of July off, so we're happy to be back with everybody and recapping some of our favorite shows from the first half of the year. Absolutely. So to get us started, here's a quick look back at our very first interview with Susan Malcolm from the Lexington Humane Society. Yeah, during this segment, she talks about the canine cabins that they built on their property. And and this is a place where volunteers can take the dogs and let them relax and really just unwind in an environment that's more like a home and less like a kennel. So here's Susan. Oh my gosh, Henry's houses. And we're very uh, fortunate to have the support of Stacy and Lee Marksbury. And they uh, supported canine cabins or Henry's houses where individuals can actually come in and take an animal, um, mostly dogs. Um, I don't want to say that you couldn't take a cat or a bunny out, but mostly dogs to Henry's houses. There are cabins out back. And it gives the um, individual and the canine an opportunity to be outside of the shelter and to uh, just have a couple of hours out back, whether it's to run and roll in the grass or to chase toys or to uh, go in and uh, lay in the cabin style environment for some peace and quiet. Um, we say that they're not allowed on the furniture, but every picture I've seen thus far of someone taking a dog out there, it has been on the furniture. Uh, we try to teach uh, good habits, but then we break them very, very quickly. Uh, but uh, it really has been great just to see something as simple as dogs being able to roll in the grass. You know, in a shelter environment, there's a lot of concrete because it's easier to clean and it's easier to maintain um, disease controls. Um, But anyone who has a dog knows how much they love to go out and roll in the grass. And so just to see these dogs to go out there and get their wiggle on is just phenomenal. So these uh, Henry's houses, canine cabins have been Uh, just a great addition to our campus and, um, and just the enrichment that we can provide our canines. Back in January, we talked with Beth Buster, who runs an amazing charity called My Dog Eats First. Beth and her team of volunteers have provided food, supplies, and medical care for companion animals owned by those experiencing homelessness. Here, Beth talks about how her homeless clients oftentimes put the needs of their pets first and how her charity helps them care for the things that are more important to them than anything in the world, their pets. In terms of of taking care of them, they uh, will will put their own. We've seen so many in the in the wintertime when we were first we first started, um, they would have sweatshirts like on the dogs, you know, 
tied onto them. And uh, so their own clothing that they used to keep warm, they would give to their companion animal, you know, very creative in terms of, of how to, how to care for them. Um, I mean, just imagine living in a, a camping kind of environment for, I mean, your whole, I mean, that's how you live trying to keep even dog food, you know, how do you keep dog food stored so that um, rats or rodents don't get into it or come into your tent because of dog of the dog food there. So, you know, when we started distributing food, we um, made sure that we were going out weekly and we, instead of giving them large 20 pound bags of dog food, which uh, are very hard to, um, um, you know, lug around anyway and transport, we were breaking everything down into gallon size Ziploc bags, which is uh, more, it's easier to transport. It doesn't sit around as long. And then, you know, making sure that our partners that were filling the needs of the people with food and supplies and stuff um, had always had dog food and cat food and pet food with them so that they could resupply them at any time. In February, we spoke with Reg Green, who's a superstar in the volunteer world. If you believe in doing anything you can to help out the dogs, Reg is your kind of guy. That's right. In this segment, Reg talks about rescuing a chained dog during the dead of winter, a dog who would then become his best friend. Here's a bit of Sarge's story. Warning, it's a tearjerker. I believe the temperature in the first week of January that year was... uh, was 16 below the real temperature wow. and the wind chill was 30 below and it was a foot of snow. And I'm thinking, well, there's no water out there. You can't have put water out there. You know, it'd be an ice cube. And I, I was just, I was a wreck. I was a, a wreck at night. And I don't know if it's possible, but I was feeling cold in my house. I was t- I was taking his cold mm-hmm. and putting it into me. And I did somewhere along the way find out his name was Sarge. Now I had just planned the church Christmas party. And I had a little bit of Christmas stationery left over. And I said, well, what the heck, I'll try. And I wrote the guy a note on this Christmas stationery, hoping that maybe there was, I could spark something that was, you know, happy. Yeah, maybe the spirit uh, would move him, right? Yeah, non-threatening, you know. Um, I said, look, I can take Sarge and return him to you in the spring when the weather gets better, if you'd be okay. And I stuck it in his door. And I was scared to death, Rick. I left my... uh, cell phone number I didn't know how he was going to take it and the next day I, I look on my phone it's ringing and it's a number I don't recognize but it was our local prefix and uh, I answer it and he says Reg and I said yeah you can have Sarge if you want I can't take care of him anymore and I, and I said, oh, thank you. I'll be right over. And I called my friend, Tom. Tom had a, had a van. And I said, Tom, Sarge has been relinquished to me. Everybody in town knew Sarge. <laughs> and I said, Tom, let's go get him. And, he, and Rick, it was so, so bitterly cold. The, this, this 
this chain would have held a naval destroyer to a, I mean, it was such, we didn't need it, but the lock was frozen. We couldn't, I'm chopping and, you know, putting all these lubricants in. So finally we had to go get the, those big bolt cutters and just cut everything apart and let it fall to the ground, put a temporary collar on Sarge. We were so cold and Sarge is just shaking and put him in the van. And I called my vet. Everybody at the vet's office knew about Sarge. And um, they said, Reg, bring him in. We're ready for him. Just come right through. And Rick, he just, he got up on the exam table, sat there and just shivered. And Doc said, probably would not have made one more night. In episode six, we had the pleasure of speaking with Joe Gatto of Impractical Jokers fame. Joe and his family are among the most dedicated dog rescuers around. They have a house full of Gatto pups, and they support animal shelters all over the region. Here's Joe talking about why he decided to write his book, The Dog Father, the proceeds of which, of course, benefit a number of animal shelters in New York. Uh, I don't know if you guys read the news, but there's a world pandemic, and (laughs) I was stuck at home. And I had been sitting on that idea to like do like a, a book, like I was like you know like to write about because I have all these stories about the dogs, and I was like doing thinking about doing a blog thing, and um, you know launching, which I ended up doing anyway. Gattopups, you know, dot com, my website and stuff, and that was like just to raise awareness and just be a funnel for all the information, and and then I was always into photography, so I was like, oh, you know, it'd be kind of fun to do a photo book. And I was like, okay. And then I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll pitch it around town and do it. And then I just saw how easy it was to do it on my own because I'm pretty computer savvy. And uh, I know Adobe Photoshop and Lightroom. And I laid it out uh, with the Adobe products and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'll just make it. So I I really enjoyed the whole process. It was really such a fun thing. I shot my 10 dogs or whatever. And I was like, okay, it'll be like a 15-page cycle thing. And it ended up being, when I started writing out the stories and stuff, it ended up being like a 55-ish page book. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I'll put it up. And you just threw it up on Amazon and just launched it. And it went really, really well. Got really well received. And then I was like, oh, okay. I found a hardcover uh, publisher. And I was like, oh, I could do this extra push for it this way. And so it was just really just a fun project that I really enjoyed doing. And it came from the heart, a little passion project out of, you know, just to keep busy while I couldn't film. In our next episode, we spoke with Deanna Davis from Kentucky Mutt's Animal Rescue about the great work they're doing with volunteer transport. During this part of the chat, Deanna talks about the logistics involved in getting a bunch of dogs and puppies from rural Kentucky to their forever homes in Minnesota. It takes a village, or in this case, maybe it's a caravan. We have um, 13 legs. So from the from Corbin to get to, to the rescue in Minnesota would have been 13 different stops. So at each stop, Uh, We usually have two to three vehicles. So that's a lot of cars. That's a lot of coordination, um, a lot of um, volunteer effort. You know, at each stop, we allow 15 to 20 minutes time to walk the dogs, give them water, you know, make sure everybody gets a potty break and then gets loaded into the new vehicle. Um, And so it's, it's, you know, it's quite hands-on during the transfers, but then, you know, they can settle into their crates and take a nap between stops. Um, but it's it's a long day for the dogs. In April, we spoke with Jeff Calloway from the Kentucky Humane Society. 
He told the story of Ethan, the dog who was left for dead on the grounds of the shelter. Ethan's story was a must-listen moment from the first half of our first season. Here's a little bit of our interview with Jeff, and we encourage you to go back and listen to the entire interview if you missed it. Here, Jeff talks about Ethan's early nights at the shelter as the vet team worked tirelessly to save his life. And then they decided, okay, to, you know, tonight we're going to come in, uh, check on him, see how he's doing. And Angela and Dr. Buley came in that first night and fed him some food. They kind of stood him up. They were kind of holding him up. His legs were still weak and fed him some food with their hand and fed him quite a bit of food. And Dr. Buley said they kind of thought, okay, let's take a break for just a little minute. And they, they set the, the bowl down and scooted the bowl away. And he started walking towards the bowl. Like he wanted more food. And, you know, I've, I've got the video that at one point I might post it, but you can hear the, like in Dr. Buley's voice, you can hear her saying, oh my God, he's walking. Like he's walking. And so he, he walks over to the bowl and starts eating some more out of the bowl. And, she, you know, she, she thought, you know what, if he's got enough, energy to get over to the bowl. I'm going to let him eat whatever he wants to eat. And so I came in the next morning to, I, I didn't text her that morning. I came in to check on him and uh, I went in and, and she's sitting on the bed in his emergency room with him. And they've got a baby gate up at the door and he's standing up and I hadn't, you know, I didn't know what had happened the night before. And I walked in and I said, Oh, like the dog is standing up, like he's walking. And she was like, I know, like last night he started walking and I put my face down by the gate and he came over and started. <laughs> he came over and started licking me in the face. And uh, she said, oh my God, Jeff, that's the first affection he's shown anybody. And she said, will you take this dog? And I said, I would love to take this dog, but he's been on my mind. Uh, but I'm like, I'm way down the list. And she said, Jeff, we were working on the dog the first day he came in uh, on the table. And at one point we got to a point where we could take a break. And she said, I looked up at Rebecca and Angel and said, this is Jeff's dog. If this dog lives, it's Jeff's dog. She said, I don't know what made me think that. I don't know what made me say that. But that's like, that's what was in my mind. It, it was probably ironic because that was probably about the time that I was coming by there, checking on him. Um, and I, I don't know. There's just, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's something I can't explain. You know, from that first moment I saw him, I knew that he would be a part of my life in some capacity. And when he came over and started looking me in the face, there was, there was nothing I would, I would never, there's nothing I wouldn't do for that dog ever. And now my vote for the most fun interviews so far, it was with Jack Joaquinan, whose family woke up in the middle of the night to find a stray dog in their living room. It took a while to figure out how the dog, subsequently named Susie, made her way into the Joaquinan's home, but there's no doubt she ended up in the right place. Here's Jeff. And I took George out on a Friday night for a walk. And it was starting to snow and rain and just, you know, building up a winter storm. 
and came in and I've got a wet dog and an umbrella and a raincoat and, you know, trying to get it all off. And then I was still up for a bit and we went to bed and at 4 a.m. my wife woke me up and she's standing over me. And the first thing, of course, is the baby's okay. Uh, Cause I also don't wake up good. If you, if you wake me up, I tend to jump. I assume everything's on fire. <laughs> so the, so the baby's okay, but there's a dog in our house. And I said, of course, George is right here. Cause I'm thinking, I don't know, postpartum. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and she says, no, there's another dog in our house. So I go, all right, I go downstairs and there is this injured small dog that we thought was maybe a puppy at the time because she was so small um, sitting in our, like on our first floor, terrified. And so we grab, we tried to grab her and she ran downstairs and my wife was able to get her with a blanket. And that's the very first Susie picture is a very blurry picture. I posted on Twitter at four something in the morning and said, we just woke up and found the dog in my house and I have no idea how it got here. We absolutely love talking with Becky Johnson, another one of the super volunteers we've interviewed. Becky volunteers as a dog walker at her local shelter, something she has spent nearly 7,000 hours doing, probably more by now. This was a great episode to allow us to thank Becky, but also thank all the other volunteers who help keep shelters running every day. Here, Becky talks about how much she enjoys volunteering and why she never gets caught without her makeup. Well, see, that's a part of volunteering, too, is if you find something that's your passion, because um, my husband asks me every Saturday morning, where are you going? Where do you think I'm going? Where do you want to go? And then he says, why did you go there? They should pay you. No, they shouldn't pay me. I'm a guest. I'm lucky they let me come. Um, then I'll say, do you have something that you want to do? Well, no, but why do you have to go all the time? But if it's something you really enjoy, a lot of ladies there uh, do the events, and they just love it because they get out and they see people, and that's who their friends are. So, you know, I like being with the dogs, but I also, um, pre-COVID, will probably start it back up again, spend a lot of time with teenagers, um, and then just helping other people. Another thing my husband would say, he was like, well, why are you putting your makeup on? Is it going to... You know, take a bunch of dogs outside. <laughs> oh, there's people there too. <laughs> See what I look like without brushing my hair and putting makeup on. They really won't come back again. Since we're both interested in the work done by breed rescues, we jumped at the opportunity to speak with Nina Scott, who runs Grand Golden Retriever Rescue and Adoption of Needy Dogs. Another wonderful organization run by a team of dedicated volunteers. Here, Nina talks about going to great lengths to rescue golden retrievers, in this case, all the way to Turkey. We have rescued, let me see here, a group from China. We rescued um, a group from Korea. And we've also rescued see, two or three groups from Istanbul, Turkey. Um, and that, Turkey was a different scenario than the, the China dogs. Um, they don't, really have the same issue with the the meat portion it was more of they have a culture where they love to have puppies and then it's very elite to have puppies and then once they're grown they don't have a need for them and they they will um notoriously just dump them out in the street so turkey has a huge problem of dogs just running rampant um and there's a wonderful coordinator that we had over there 
that, um, and I don't even know the background of how she started, but she's got land and she just started gathering all of these submissive type dogs that couldn't survive on their own in the streets. And she kind of just noticed uh, they were just not surviving. And so majority of them are goldens, uh, which is not surprising because mm-hmm. their temperament. And so she started to arrange for golden retrievers and other dogs too, but she started reaching out to us golden rescue to see if we could help bring these turkey dogs over. So we've had about th- at least three rounds of dogs from Turkey. And we usually bring around five to six a group. When we heard baby girl's story, we just had to talk to the folks who made it possible for her to find a home. Thanks to the efforts of the Winnie Berry Humane Society of Angelina County, Texas, baby girl was adopted by the Deaton family after seven years in the shelter. In this segment of the interview, Mrs. Deaton talks about what lessons people can take from the story of a dog who waited seven years for her forever home. I think people should never give up on an animal or anybody, but animals. I really think that people just, you know, stop throwing things away is the big thing. Sure. And take care of your babies. I mean, beautiful animal, perfect. She's well-mannered, spoiled, but well-mannered. Um, you know, they just they just need to take the time. And if it takes six months, it takes six months. In our most recent episode, we heard about a really unique way to help shelter dogs overcome their anxiety during July 4th fireworks. That's right. In this section of the interview, Angie Durgasing answers the age-old question, what kind of book do you read to a dog? There were so many. So there were some dog fancy magazines, even a couple cat fancy magazines. But I would say the number one books were children's books. And we had some people that you could tell they were reading to their grandchildren at night because the puppies were looking at the pictures and we had them yawning. Uh, We had some people uh, reading very serious books. Uh, So it was was definitely a, a really worthwhile thing to do for them. So there you have it. A few highlights from our first six months as podcasters. The time has flown by, but thanks to all of you who are listening, this has been one of the best parts of 2021 for us. Yeah, we get a lot out of talking with fellow dog lovers a couple times a month, and we'd still enjoy it even if no one listened except our families. (laughs) But it really makes us feel great that thousands of you all have tuned in during the first half of the year. If you heard something in the first half recap that interested you, we encourage you to go back and listen to the full episode. They're all archived for, well, I guess forever. <laughs> so. Yeah, and if you listen via Apple and want to leave feedback on the show, we'd really appreciate that. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more dog lovers find out about the podcast. So as always, thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new conversation with Friends with Dogs. But until we speak again, go do something nice for a dog today. Bye, everybody.